Hello there, and welcome to a Dungeons and Dragons role-playing podcast. My name is Stacy, and I'm the DM. So come with me and my good friend Mick. Join us in our weekly discussion about our campaign. Listen to our successes and failures while trying to flex our role-playing muscle. The funny bits, the dumb bits, and the all-round good time that comes with this great activity. The cast is Elbrum, a male Asmar warlock, with his pixie familiar Sill. Morden Kell, a male elven rogue monk. His brother Ventus, a male drow rogue. Asher Bloodfist, a male human barbarian. And Mick, who plays Calidus Magnus Lunior, a male elf-marked wizard. The campaign setting is the Southlands from Cobalt Press. We're using the D&D 5e rule set and we game using the Fantasy Grounds Virtual Tabletop. So that's the cast, that's the campaign. Now, welcome to the show. First off, I must apologize because at about 13 minutes into the episode, you'll hear some tapping. What mystery could that be? Well, it could be someone hunting for chaotic evil. In this episode, we find the Grey Company under the careful eye of the City Watch, back in the refugee camp, in their home, Ocelot Tent Number 5. What will they do with Mistress Henna, Rahid, and the traumatized Daryl? Can they have a private conversation about the things they've learned? Did they, could they, have left evidence at the scene of the crime? The awkward silence is broken when an invitation from the Pallid Court arrives. And of a sudden, our elven Kell brothers are exclaiming, My word, I've nothing to wear. Mistress Henna is privy to a strange, the strangest sight. Five burly adventurers entering a small dressing room. Yo, hey, Mistress Henna. You stay here while the five of us go into that there dressing room. Really? Shopping? Learn why Elrum did his dastardly deed. The Grey Company eventually finds the Bronze Spigot, office or home to one Princess Karima, the extremely attractive knoll that seems to know a lot. What will our barbarian Asher learn? Will Calidus perform magics for the princess? Some good questions. So sit back, stay tuned, and enjoy. I'm here with Mick, and we are reviewing what happened yesterday's yesterday's session. It was pretty good. And from my point of view, it was a lot less disorganized from the point of view of I've now got, I'm running the five NPCs. It's kind of in a combat, non-combat area. This was, okay, you guys have returned back to the refugee camp after being directed there by the police. You spent the night, you were able to attune to some of the things that you, you had found. And of course, the, the big ticket item was you attuned to the Grimalkan Eye. And you know that it's the Grimalkan Eye now. You know that it can do things. And then it was going to be a long rest, which allowed you guys to level up and get to level two. But the things that I think a lot of you forgotten, and, and I, I kind of... After our discussion last week, I wanted to make sure that this was important point that everybody remembered. So on Discord, I kind of did a little bit of role-playing to say that 
you guys were at your guys' tent. Rahid was with you at the tent. Mr. Henno was with you at the tent. And so was Daryl, now single brother. So you're all there. And then that's pretty much where we started up. It's like, well, what do you guys, what did you guys want to do? Mm. So you guys had some more discussions with Henna, but as you guys were discussing things with Henna, the uh, phone rang. Yeah, the phone rings. <laughs> and so the postal man comes by and he drops off a letter and it's an invitation. And it's an inv- invitation to go to the pallet court. And brothers Kel, they were excited. <laughs> Because this meant that they're going to go to... So the Pallet Court is the home of the vampires in the city of Purvestet. So they get super excited now because, oh, we're going to go to the home of the that. And they're like, very first thing that comes, I've got nothing to wear. <laughs> uh, where did that come from? Oh, I've got it was, nothing to wear. It was too funny. And it wasn't just the Brothers Kel. It was Elbrum as well. Elbrum was also like, Oh yeah, if we gotta to go to a ball, I need to get dressed up. And they, and of course, thank goodness Mistress Henna was there because I think Elbram noticed body language wise, she was very reticent about this whole thing about being invited to the pallet court. And so you guys started questioning her and you found out more about her backstory. You found out that the reason why she doesn't <clears throat> like to go to the perfume district and and why the pallet court is completely off limits to her. So that worked out. I, I like that. I, I enjoyed this bit because it, it allowed me to fill in some blanks that you guys just, with so much going on, you guys just never really asked the questions to, to, to fill in those blanks. So although it was a slow going episode, your, your, your very typical gambling shopping episode, mm. it was an opportunity for you guys to, to start asking some questions to, to fill in some of those blanks. So did you have any thoughts about, you know, that little episode at the beginning of the, the session with the conversation with well, Hannah? The first thing that, that raced past me when the postman came was that this then put us, we already knew that we had to go and see uh, Mistress Henna's boss. And we've now got an invitation to go and see Lady Alashra. So clearly two powerful people have invited us to see them and we are holding the Bramalkan eye. And... <clears throat> now we are forced to make a choice. But you guys also learned why you got the invitation to the Pilot Court. Remember what that was? So after talking with Mistress Henna, you guys learned that everybody receives invitations <coughs> to the Pilot Court. And it's not actually an uncommon thing. It's not that you've specifically oh, the, been the, the, recognized for your yeah. accomplishments. <laughs> it's that the vampires of yes, the city, like they have like. a deal with the city. They cannot just, they cannot just take blood from anybody. They cannot, if they will exist in the city and coexist, there are rules to follow. So they invite everybody to come to, to a ball and they look for volunteers. Yes. It's a bit like compulsory voting. Yes. yes. <laughs> but you, it, I mean, compulsory, I mean, you, it's your choice and, uh, but you, to yes. do so, you will have a contract, a blood contract. And if you do not fulfill your blood contract. There are consequences and those consequences are not just the vampires imposing, but it is the city that would impose it as well. Mm. So you found out that, that this is the reason why Hannah doesn't like to go there. You found out that, Oh, wait a minute. Yeah, so we're, we're, we're basically being asked to go and give blood. 
And Hen's already breached the contract, so she's likely to die anyway. Yeah, so she's, that's right. So you find out the reason why she doesn't go to the perfume district is because she broke, breached the blood contract. She hasn't told you much more about no. what exactly it was, only that it was breached. And then you guys are, you get that message and then one of the sending stones starts vibrating and the master detective Nynaeve sends a message, which basically says, you guys have been exonerated from the, whatever happened <coughs> at the Hakan's home. Yep. The whole staging of Hakan's body and every, all the <laughs> stuff that, you know, was it suspect? Would they figure it out? Doesn't matter now. You've been exonerated yes. and you're left wondering why did that happen? We ducked. Yeah. We dodged a bullet there. And from that, at that point, did you guys, I can't remember, did, did I reveal that you guys visiting Karima, that she had a, a yeah. association with <clears throat> Lieutenant Memich? Or was no, it no, that was, that was, that was later, but it, it, it was that, um, at that point, the pressure started to come that we had to go and see Karima. Yep. And so Mistress Henna was saying, you know, there is a carriage outside for you to take. Yeah, because yeah. all of a sudden the guards, your guy, yeah. the city guards had disappeared in the night. And, yeah. you know, as soon as role playing started, Elbrum was like, guys, the guards are gone. Yeah. When I went on post, they they, they, were, they were gone. Yeah. And, uh, and Rahim has also at this point in time revealed that he wants to go, but he's not, not sticking around any longer. So, yeah. And it was really funny watch <laughs> listening to one of the brothers, Cal, try to convince him to, yes. to take over Festering Hat's house to be a fence. And I thought, I mean, it was a really great idea, but, you know, and I, I thought I could go I was, along with it. But then I started thinking, this is my, my whole business of thinking about the person's motivations. And I started thinking, he's, like, he's a were rat. Yeah. He's been down on his luck the entire time he's been there. He's been looked at poorly. He's, I mean, everybody treats him like crap. <clears throat> Maybe he deserves it. Like he was stealing from the blind beggar. And, you know, he's yeah. a big dick. But... And, and it was strange that it came from the roads because they had set themselves up to be the fences. Mm. So that was I, I, a week I, ago. That was their plan. We will take over the Hakan's house. And yeah, we will be the, the big, you know, the fences. Which, this is the, the funny thing. This is um, about maybe it's continuance of a story or something like this. But my impression was was I remember them talking about Rahib becoming taking over Festering Heth's house, becoming yeah. a fence, and. I wonder if, you know, big picture wise, they, it's like the dog with a bone that won't let go. You know, they're thinking, let's keep going with this. I don't know why, but perhaps somehow this is going to get us in with the Thieves Guild with the Crimson Bob. Yeah, that, that, and, and which was a bit strange because they've already been given information from yeah, Rahid that, that he's got no he's got association with it. And unless you do something really good, you won't get there. Yeah, and I mean, they also know that they met someone, the menagerie woman, yeah. who seemed to have some kind of relationship somehow. We're not sure just yet, but they've already got more connections with the Crimson Paw than this guy who's been living yes, there for the last yeah. you know, few years. Yeah, so they're way ahead of him. Yeah, so motivation-wise, I was sitting there thinking, he's a were-rat. He's in a city that is pretty much the goddess Bastet, queen of the, God, uh, queen of the cats. It's her city. The cat folk have a lot of power in the city. Yeah. And so he's just like, yeah, I'm a rat. Not I'm a were rat. I'm not, it's not working. The discrimination is <laughs> palpable. And so he's just like, 
all right, it's time for me to head back to where my people, uh, my clan is. And so he's basically going to tail between his legs and head home. Yep. And I mean, it was good. The brothers, Cal, I mean, they, they kept trying to, to, uh, I kept trying convince to that situation to go. That was going that way. Yeah. But anyways, the land carriage came in. You guys went back to the Jubilant Nargile first thing in, in the morning because was there any messages? And, and I, again, this was one of those situations where players come in and you just think everything's going to be ready because, oh, this is a great idea. Well, the Jubilant Nargile, they'll be, they'll be our, our place where we can send stuff that's not our home, you know, protect where we live. Uh, and so you go in and, and you're like, hey, is there any messages for me? And the, the owner's like, the hell are you talking about? I'm not a post office. And so what, so you guys arrived at the cafe and you're having a conversation <clears throat> with Astra now. And she's just like, wait a minute, no. And I forget which one of you guys is like, here's a platinum piece. And Calidus is just like, how in the hell did you get platinum? What's up with the platinum? <laughs> so it became a thing about, oh, I think it was Morgan that gave the platinum piece. So Calidus was surprised about Morgan having the platinum. But you, at this point, you guys are... Actually, just before you, you guys are very flush with cash at this point because yes. what we did was at the refugee camp the evening before, you got rid of a lot of your stuff. So you've got actually quite a bit of gold in your pockets that's weighing you guys are down. And so you're thinking, okay, we've, we've got to hit a bank and exchange this stuff. But as it also happens, because of the invitation, you guys are very anxious to get some clothes. So yeah. as you're heading to Karima's place, you stop off at a clothing store. A clothing store. That was amusing too, because all of a sudden you guys are uh, at this dwarf store and you see hanging on the rack, some very interesting clothes and you guys all get very excited about that. I thought that was amusing. And it was the opportunity that, because we, up until the stage, we had not had the conversation about the Grim Alkanai. No. And so this was, the, Oh God. Yes. Yeah, that's right. We, we had to have the conversation about the Grim Alkanai and it couldn't be done in front of Hannah. Yeah. Hannah was, that's right. Cause Rahid's drinking along. At this point, though, uh, we, we just basically said, Rahid, you guys fed him breakfast before you hit the store, and then he left. So Rahid's gone, but Henna is still with you guys and really not leaving you guys aside. So you guys, at this point, like, we're going to go into the dressing room together. And so five big, bulky guys <laughs> have wandered into a dressing room to have a conversation about to have a guy. conversation about the Grimalk and I. It's at this point that there's lots of beeping noises because this part is highly sensitive about the conversation that was held in the in the dressing room. But we might skip the nudity oh, yeah. um, and <laughs> physical attributes and oh. hysterical laughter and rolling around on the floor for about 15 minutes while people make dirty jokes and then move on to what was actually said. And it was at this point that we realised that we probably should get rid of this thing. Yeah, it was, it was actually good. <laughs> like, I, I enjoyed listening to Calidus, who was provided logic about I don't think we should hold on to this. Let's, I think we need to give this and you put down, you said, let's maybe Lady Alastra. I think, or, I think you said, I there's the two options. It's Karima or Lady Alastra. Or three actually, or back to the priest. Or bring it to the, to the temple. Yeah. Uh, so, and I, I, I thought you'd get pushback where the guys would be wanting to keep it. But uh, once again, it was, it, it worked out really, really well where they were just like, yeah, I mean, didn't seem to be a lot of argument about, no, I want to keep it. I want to keep it. There's just like sensible, Comments. So role playing yeah. this really well. Yeah. And I mean, to, to that end, I mean, I was just thinking as well about Elbrum and how he was role playing. And when it came down to, he, he took the opportunity to try to explain his actions. 
as well from the previous day because role playing wise he wanted to make sure that you guys were no he wanted to explain to you guys so it was an out of character but in character moment where he felt that now's the time to explain why he went and cut off the guy's thumbs and yeah carved yeah, into so, it. so if you guys were curious about what that was going, because he never in the, in the previous session he didn't actually explain why he was doing that at all so nah. this time he decided okay i got to make sure you guys are aware i don't take kind to guys men uh, treating women yeah. badly and whatnot so it was a reaction to the, that information yeah he explained that up so when you guys were in in the dressing room and having that conversation it became really i mean you all role played very well in terms of what you were thinking of that situation what should we do with this and a consensus was reached so you guys came out of there and Mrs. Hammond gave you guys a strange look. Yes, a bad behavior, yes. And that's understandable. Five men walking into a dressing room. <laughs> and then, of course, you guys uh, take a closer look at what's on the shelves, and all of a sudden you see there, there's this dark weave uh, yes. fabric and glamour weave fabric, which you guys all got excited about and tried to make a deal with the... Uh, and that actually worked out quite well. The, I thought it was the, good, the, too, because, the... I, I mean, I'm sitting there thinking... <clears throat> I already know that as refugees, I made the statement that you guys are going to get a discount and that the city is. And mm. Of course, I'm playing up the idea of trying to make you guys feel guilty about having, how much paperwork these poor vendors yeah. have to go through. And, and I noticed that it had absolutely no impact whatsoever. That no, no. Laughed out of the, yeah. yeah. So. They do not care about trying to make these guys feel yes. guilty at all. I mean, there's, there's a level where the role playing goes and then it just... Stops. You work for the government, you have to fill out forms. We don't care. Give me my freaking discount. Yeah. So, but anyway, you guys said, look, we're going to buy in bulk. Can we get a better deal? And I was just like, well, yeah, that's some sensible yeah. thinking. Of course. Why not? So, uh, yeah, you guys got a pretty good deal on that. And, and then you remembered, uh, oh, uh, Elbrum was like, well, I mean, they've got some studded armor here too. So I'm going to buy that. Yeah. At which point the Kelvin was <laughs> like, oh, wait a minute. Like we got to go back to the Griffin's Armory over there because they were resizing some of this stuff. And well, you can take mine now because I no longer need it. It's going to have the the nice logo on it, the logo on it because yeah. we're advertising. But still, it, it only cost us a gold, so why not? So yeah, you guys stopped off there, and then so you guys arrived at the penthouse, the penthouse of the Bronze Spigot, and that was where Mistress Henry. No, Mr. Sander takes you to meet Princess Karima. And you guys go up to the, the penthouse, the studio, and you enter. There's one one door you go through, and you're in the office. And immediately, Hannah walks over and, and greets. I mean, for all intents and purposes, looks like a friend. And then the questioning starts to happen. And, and almost immediately, Karima is asking, who's got the eye? And... <laughs> And it points out Calidus. Yep. And she's like, did you attune to it? Yep. You're like, yep. And she's like, tell me what did you learn? What did you find out? And so I, we, we read her the instruction manual. This is, what it, this is what it does. But then she asked the question, have you used it? Yeah. And, and the answer was, no, would you like me to try it for you? Um, which brought... Um, was it Asher? Asher came it, up. Asher was saying, I started tearing off my tearing off everything that I own, trying to get to the uh, the, to the real stone, <laughs> so that so that oh, it couldn't possibly run amok. And it was, it was, it was interesting it was, that she also said, 
that she didn't want me to try it either. So clearly, you know, and when she and, and the attuning once a day for an hour, she was right on top of that. She knew that there was something different about it because that shouldn't have been necessary. Yep. So she didn't want me to try it either. So she knows that there is something wrong. Uh, and that's when the conversation leads on to the rumours about the idol. She's heard about the idol. Still, going back to the whole <coughs> Asher taking the Viril Stone, I, I got a, a, a royal kick out of that one because Kalidus was just like, he didn't know what was going on at the moment <laughs> from a role-playing perspective. Kalidus was just like, what? You're taking my stone? And it was just, I, I could see that Kalidus was, was like reticent. To think, thinking, How do I explain this? You know, it was like, you're not taking my stone. And then I think it just, it sunk in. Oh, wait. Yeah, okay. <laughs> then he lets Asher take the stone. And then, and, then, and, then, and then to make it convincing, it's like, you've got a hand over the stone. You know that she's watching. Yeah, so, yeah that's uh, right. That was brilliant. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling hot. I'll just give him everything that I'm wearing. Uh, isn't the weather strange today? <laughs> and that was met with a... What kind of stupid wizard are you? There is nothing wrong with the weather here. It's perfectly normal. Yeah, that, that was pretty good. Though. Just to, to hide the fact of the passing of the real stone over it. Because she would have, I mean, you would have thought she would be right on top of that as yeah. well. So. Yeah, and, I, and, and I, I did let that pass because I was thinking, you know, there's a point where you're like, when you're doing NPCs and the motivations, you could go just too far and it just drags things on. So passing over the, the backpack and stuff to, to disguise the handing over of the Vrillstone to, to Asher. Karima was watching this and as the, you know, playing her in motivation wise, I was just like, Oh, that's what I was going to say. I figured out this. Um, I thought you did incredibly well there. There was an interesting thing there is that this is the compensation for the player. And that occurred there because Elbram doesn't say much and, and doesn't, you know, Asher, sorry, Asher doesn't say yeah. much. Asher doesn't sort of launch into it. And in this particular case, when you think about what it was that he said, he said, you need to give me the stone, right? If it had been one of the other guys that was sort of more, was better at playing the game, they would have actually made it more subtle. Mm. And so if you talk about it in terms of the strict role playing, yeah, yeah, if you yeah, play true. that as being strict role playing as going, well, that's pretty dumb, of course she's going to see yeah. it. And so by letting that one slide, what you're doing is compensating for people that are, um, yeah, a, a little bit more. And I, and I yeah. thought that was excellent because yeah. that meant this one went through to the keeper. Yeah, and I mean, to, to me, uh, my, my specific thought on it was just, oh, I mean, we could really drag this on. Let's just yeah. get this through. And, and she could have, if, if you were playing it, you know, hard and fast, then she yeah. would have seen it and then gone, yeah. what's that? I'll have what it. Thank you very that? much. Yeah. yeah. But anyways, I mean, so she asked you about the Grimalk and I. You find out some strange stuff, but at the same point, I mean, you guys aren't completely walking into this like, yes, we are. You are our master. We will do what you say. No, you guys are asking questions, and you find out that the reason why you were exonerated was because Karima has a relationship with Lieutenant Mehmet, and she's pulling strings in the background. And this, of course, excites Kalidus because he's like, Lieutenant <laughs> Mehmet is a lieutenant. Yes, which was funny because, as far as Kalidus knew, when he met Mehmet, was a still a sergeant. So we've now we are now starting to you know again weave the little strings of who we know and who we are yeah. and, and and start pulling all together. Interestingly, though, at this stage too, it's all it's becoming clear that Mehmet, Karina, are working in this in this little 
group on their own, like MI5 or something. And we don't yep. know whether they're – we don't actually know if they're the good guys or the bad guys yep. because that hasn't made, been made. You know, we have no idea how that's going to, going to pan out. But they have pulled strings and that has meant that the, the sergeant that uh, was inspecting the house has basically been told to back off. Yeah, and, and, it, and, and I like that because what was going on is you guys questioned up to a point where you're like – not sure if we can question any further. I mean, yeah. you, 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 it was clear that Karima was colluding with the lieutenant. Yes. Uh, and that the lieutenant had instructed the <clears throat> detective to back off. But it was also clear that there's only so much strings that could be pulled within a legal system before things would completely unravel. And she made it very clear. Yes. And she also did say that the people above her, the people in the, in the, the Grand Council, were not aware of what she was doing. That's right. So we, we and as a reveal, you've got to look at that and go, okay, if she said that, then maybe this is, maybe they are the good guys. Because if they were the bad guys, they almost certainly wouldn't have told you that. Yeah. Well, and, and the other part too, as well, is that I, I wanted to also make sure that it was clear when you guys were talking that you learned, it was important for me that you guys learned that when you, you, I think at some point you guys mentioned about giving it to the temple. She's like, no, no, don't do that. Yeah. We can't have the temple of the cat being aware that such an item exists. And, and she, she does explain to you a bit that this is related. So everybody knows the goddess Bastet. She's mm-hmm. a good goddess. Uh, yeah. she's considered part of the good pantheon, but she reveals, I mean, all gods, there's a, you mean, even with the good ones, there is a black side. And she suspects that this is part of a secret black side of, or a cult or something of, of Bastet. So I had hoped that the message came across to you guys that she didn't want the high priestess or any of the temple of Bastet to be aware that there was some underpinnings here. And especially that there was such a powerful, powerful logic because she makes it clear when she's asking to you about to, when she's asking Calidus about the uh, the Grimalkan Eye and what it does, she's very wanting to know, does it control the cats? And mm-hmm. you gathered when she was saying that she wasn't just talking domestic cats, she was talking about the werecats, yeah. the cat people, the tabaxi, and, and, and all of those ones as well. But it does say that it doesn't control them. Yes. So she, she And so we can look at that and go, Calidus says, no, it, it doesn't control those, that's what he's learned. But the, the statement that she's made is that when combined with something else, something else, yeah. then it, it's a fairly reasonable assumption to go, when you put the two together, then you have total control. Yeah. So she, at that point, starts telling you guys a lot more about what she knows. And so she gives you a little bit more enough idea of where the whole story about the Grimalkan Eye came from. And so all of a sudden you start getting a, a lot more uh, details into, okay, what's what's going on here? And so she explains that this item surfaced, a Tomb Raider was the person who got, got into its hand. <coughs> he was a known Tomb Raider who would swim through the river of sand, tempting fate by doing it. And he tempted fate once too many and he died because of it. So he somehow found the Grimalkan Eye it later surfaced in the pit where Rahid found it. Mm. And so, you know, all of a sudden you're seeing, okay, there's more to that. Just finding Rahid finding this thing at the pit. 
you're starting to see that there's a there's a bigger story, or at least I'm, yeah. I'm hoping this is starting to come across. It is, and then we we reveal the, the Tuscali incident. Yes, which, right from day one. Yep, which was people were looking for an idol. Now we don't know if they're connected. Yep, um, we'll find that out somewhere else along but, the line, and they could be completely disconnected. Yep, but she sparks up at that, going, "Hang on a minute." So we've got the this, and she also brings up the doctor. The scholar, the scholar, yeah. yeah. So she, she, so that's right. So she tweaks in about the Tuscali for sure because she's just like, so "What? What did you say? They're looking for an idol," and she's just, you know, trying to, you know, is there a relationship here? Why would they be looking for an idol? And so, to me, again, I, I was thinking this is a good point to try to, I guess, lead you guys and lead <coughs> the NPCs into some inferences here that are possibilities. At least to get you know some some thoughts that may be, and so I, I think one of you guys are like, oh maybe the Scully are, are looking for objects of power, and and she's like, yeah that makes a lot of sense. And the idea was yeah, okay, there's something here, and then she mentions yes she she employed a friend. So as soon as the Grimalkin eye surfaced, the body of the Tomb Raider was discovered. Uh, she started doing some research, and she was the one who sent Hannah looking for the Grimalkin eye. In the meantime, she wanted to do research about what this object was that had surfaced. And uh, she went to her friend, the scholar Zubiar. After talking with him, she learned that perhaps it's, there's something else, which is the, the idol. There's something bigger here, the black side of Bastet. So she reveals all of that. But she also says, I haven't been able to see him for at least uh, the He's last couple of days. He's disappeared. We need to find him. Mm. And so at this point, this is, okay, so you've got a bigger picture of the story, but now there's still a loose thread tied to that story. And she also reveals who may have taken him. That's right. So, yeah, that, that was – because I, I was wondering how that would come in because I, from a point I was just like, okay, well, what does she know? She would say he lives here and he studies here. That's what she knows. She would have gone to look and find, try to find him herself. That's what she knows. She, she had no success. She now needs people who are can get more physical in terms of doing the, the research. And I can't remember what it was that led to the conversation, but at some point, the dogs of Bastet came up. And she's like, when that came up, she started talking about the leader oh, of the dogs of Bastet. It was the leading from the Crimson Eye. We asked, did she have any contacts with the underworld? Oh, with the Crimson Paw, that's right. The crimson Paw, sorry, yes. Right, um, so she started talking about the Crimson <clears throat> Paw and... She mentioned that perhaps the dogs were somehow related, like perhaps a militial arm or something like this, but she's never been able to find any tie-ins. And then all of a sudden, this the, the mention of the dogs sparked a bunch of conversation. It was so funny because this was where the brothers Kel, their memories, because I can't, sometimes I can't remember some of the stuff <laughs> I say to you guys, and I got, it reminds me, take better notes, take better notes. But they're I'm like... taking notes and even I can't keep up with it. Oh, uh, well, and, and so they're like, wasn't the menagerie woman from the dogs of Bestat? And I was just like, no, good Lord, was she? And then the other brother was like, no, 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 no. I'm sure she's an assassin. I think she's a front okay. for that. And I was like, the okay, maybe that's what it was. What, what the hell no, was it? it was the crimson poor and the, so, the boys. And we don't know that she's the assassin. And, and it's yeah. so good, and though, that it's interesting, interesting that it, you guys are so involved that you guys are actually remembering this stuff. Because with the other group, I would have been going off on a tangent because <coughs> I couldn't remember and. The other group, they just there's no there's no way in the hell they would remember 
It's interesting that when I look at the, the volume of notes that I take, and I pretty much type continuously for the whole session, it is now getting harder and harder for me to find the section that this where that incident occurred. <laughs> so the menagerie woman is like three or four weeks ago and you go and you try and find out what was said and what was done and, and, and tie it all together. Yeah. And and that is and and but we are we're doing very well because our guys are still focusing on what is the next objective. And yeah. in the back of their minds they are keeping the things. We have one thing that we haven't solved, which was how he was killed, the spike through the back of the neck. Yep. Um, and that was the menagerie woman. There is that assumption is that she killed him, and that hasn't actually been proved to be right or wrong yet. Yep. But it, so they, but it was that conversation, and of course, brilliant. It, it, was, it was brilliant because you, they yeah. asked Rahid, do you know this menagerie woman? And, and Rahid no, was like, Rahid. no, actually, no. And so they're asking Karima, and Karima as well doesn't know. So that was quite interesting, and it led to the conversation with the dogs, and she's, well, I know the leader, and he's been a thorn in my side forever. Mm. And all of a sudden, she's like, God, I wonder, maybe he went and took my friend. Because at that point, you also learn what kind of person is uh, Princess Karima, and you learn that she is an oddity. A, a mutant of sorts when it comes down to the gnolls because the gnolls they tend to take on their the hyena nature of there's subspecies or whatever you want to call it they're usually hunched over they're usually very guttural yeah. she's upright she is doesn't look anything Attractive. like what the typical gnoll was and and as well with the description of her i threw in the bit that you now really realize why Hakan perked up when you mentioned her name, <laughs> yes. even though he was missing two thumbs. And so yes. yeah, she, she basically says, look, at the end of the day, I've had lovers, and some of them died, and they were killed by the leader of the dogs of Bastet. He's been... So she she knows that he's yeah. killed some of her ex-lovers. And, uh, and didn't Elbrum detect that she may, in fact, not be a null? No. No, he... he he did a, an arcana check because he wanted to know. So Elbrum has his backstory and so there's some interesting stuff that's going on there. And I, I gave him another little clue between sessions about something else. And that's part of that was when the guards disappeared and, you know, he wanted to go in and wake you guys up an instant, but something else distracted him. So he is wondering that does his backstory and who he is as a class, does it relate to Karima? So his arcana check was really, <laughs> is she going along the same direction as me? And I was like, no, no, but you are sure that there's, she is not a normal mole in yeah. a sense because yeah, she's, you know. And so I try to, to make that as, as open and less a mystery about it, but it was really, the more questions you ask, the more you would learn. It's not that she was uh, a complete closed book, don't go down this road or anything like this. So so she reveals this guy and that potentially he is another threat. Perhaps he's involved with this. And So I, I think... I'm not, yeah. yeah, at the end of the day, I mean, I'm just curious how you, as Khaled, has felt that that whole experience went. Because at some point we were at a point where it was just, okay... We're done with this now. I thought it was good. I th- it was good because we didn't, it, it, it wasn't another murder hobo session and everybody engaged. 
Yeah. And again, the, the engagement level with this particular crew yeah. makes me wonder whether this is as good as it gets. It, yeah. it seems that they're always there, they're always early, they're always engaged with the story. And most people after this session, and, and we did cut this one off after three hours. Yeah. It was a three hours of walking through the process, asking questions and, and tying bits and pieces together all the way through. Yeah. And I, I thought to me, I was happy. Like, I, 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 I do remember yeah. thinking, oh, do I need to throw an encounter just to, you know, get the blood flowing type stuff? And I was just like, this is a tie up. We've got to get some of these questions answered. And so I knew that in the session, I needed to get you guys to visit Princess Karima. And I also do know that you did notice that you simplified it a bit. There are a few NPCs that have now disappeared, so a few more voices you don't have to know yeah. anymore. Well, he, he had <laughs> Rahid's go. gone, so we can swap him out. Yeah. Um, oh, and, and I, I did play up the point of, I forget who it was at the very beginning of the session, was asking Daryl something, and Daryl was all in his... Master, have I finished cleaning your shoes well enough for you? So he was all in the business of, you know, I'm now your slave. And that's really good. It will be interesting to see if we actually drag Daryl in, into uh, participating more. Yeah. In terms of, you know, you can carry stuff. I'm not quite sure how, how much he can carry. He's well, not very big, but you know. he's not very big. And, and uh, kobolds have sunlight sensitivity, just like the drow do and stuff like yeah. this. But I. Uh, I, I enjoyed that little bit in the between sessions when Ventus decided to write something about trying to console Daryl. Yes. And the consoling was like, I was just like, <clears throat> all right, cool. So how is Daryl going to treat this? My brothers are dead. He needs something. And so I was like, he needs to feel like he's doing something to t- distract him. So he was very much into, yeah, can I clean your house? Can I, you know, so and- he takes on the slave traits again. And I wondered, what are these guys going to do when we start, you know, playing that up? So yeah, I well, and and it was you know, we have a house lined up too, which is something that we skipped over in the middle of it, where we turned around and said, you know, uh, by the way, we'd like somewhere to live. We asked, oh, that's for, right. We, you guys, we, we, you we, asked for Hakan's house, and you were asking if Karima could manage the swing so that you guys could take over. Well, house. yeah, and and the answer was yeah, she could find us accommodation. We also <laughs> did push it a bit far by asking, could we have some deadly weapons? Which we will, <laughs> which we will continue to do every time we meet someone. Yeah. Is there something you could just slide off the shelf at the police station that would yeah. come in handy? Oh, and this is one and, of those things too. Like I, I thought about that one quite a bit you know, when you were asked that question because I was like, would they? I mean, could they? And I was thinking, perhaps they could. But is that wise to do from a point of view of playability? And I personally think that being able to buy things that make you ridiculously powerful is not good it's much better if you can find them and uh, get a better sense that oh i've really earned this yeah i I was looking at it from the other point of view and that is that from from delivering an outcome it's it's possible that we would encounter or should encounter someone who is much more powerful than we are and therefore it is at that point that you will need to invoke something like this as we get closer and closer to finding the next bit and the next bit, then we, as we unravel the mystery, at some point in time, there will be someone that is very powerful that we clearly shouldn't be able to to beat on our own. Yeah. And it's at that point that you would turn around and say, well, how do you actually manage that 
process. And, and as you say, as you point out, having the ridiculously powerful weapon now means that you can kill something quite easily. Well, and, 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 you know, this, this is a cha- challenge. So this is a this balancing is the, act. It's well, a, it's not difficult. just a balancing act, but it's really making sure that you guys think a uh, bigger picture here. And this ties into where I was just telling the, the other game that we do, where if you are a bunch of low-level people, tactically speaking, you can do amazing things mm. if you work together in order to utilize each other's <laughs> assets to make better use of them. Like, for example, you know, my saying to that, the, 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 the guy who's playing the dire wolf, I was just like, well, you know, squat down and let me climb up on top of you so that I can get over this fence. I mean, he could have just been, you know, way, why would I ever do that? And, mm. and it's like, which is just dumb because tactically speaking, that's what you do. Why would you do that? Like, so here, I, I find that when people think individually and when they think, I'm going to do this, because in a round, you have six seconds. You can move, you can do an action or something like this. Having a conversation to me is just as important mm-hmm. tactically <laughs> as moving, you know, th- five feet to the left. Yeah. Because. So you move to the left so that you can you can dodge or something like this. Have you made it so that you've got better advantage? So for me, when I was talking about this other session where there's a bunch of goblins, I would, as the, the DM, let the guys know that the these goblins were talking to each other. They'd be like, rally here, go over there. They're at the bridge, do this. Because the point is, is they would be talking with each other. And you should be hearing them talking with each other trying to get themselves into uh, better positions. Yeah. My, and my thought was, it's the same for, for any other players. If you are a group and you're a bunch of level ones, I mean, if you sit there and think, oh, we've got five enemies, there's five of us, we're going to defeat them. If they work as a group and you are working as just a bunch of individ- individuals, you might not be murder hobos, yeah, but if you're you working might. as individuals, you're going to fail. Hmm. And, and, and I agree with that, yes. And as long as we work as a team, we... And make decisions on the basis of what we see, yep. and not on the basis of oh, we'll, we'll fight to the death. Yep. Uh, we'll probably survive. But well, and, and also at the end of the day, when you think about the leaps that we've made here, not having the magical weapon, and again, you look at Calidus, the box still hasn't been opened. Yeah, uh, I have a feeling the box is going to become this recurring. You know, <laughs> it's going to be like <laughs> a recurring joke. It'll just sit there and never be open. It will never actually be open until the absolute. <laughs> The last episode when the show is finally cancelled cancelled yep. from television, they will open the box and in the camera fact, will zoom in on the box and then it will just play to it, It's some item from his great-great-grandfather <laughs> yeah. that, yeah. or some just ridiculous yeah. thing. Yes, it's the left shoe from your great-uncle from World War Two. Yeah, some, yeah. some plot point that ties something in that was everything is tied <laughs> back to the... Calidus's family from <laughs> ages ago. The world is coming to an end because your great grandfather was a... <laughs> yeah. Yes, it's all your own fault. That's why you're <laughs> yes. this whole mess that you thought was yeah. related to gods and goddesses and whatnot is actually your great grandfather's fault. We do, and 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 we kind of screw a house. And how good is that? You know, we we made it out of the refugee camp. I was always wondering about how we were going to get out of the refugee camp. How do we make that step from there into the city? Yep. And how do we move from being I'm quite keen on seeing this not just be a one-episode thing. I think that there is the potential for us to tie this lot together. This is where we live, and we can run adventure after adventure until you actually die in 47 years' time, where we just keep 
leaving from per Bastet to go on to the next one. Daryl's yeah. the house elf. He stays He's there the and helps elf. us out. We have all of our good friends within the town. We promote their products. And slowly we rise up the pecking order until we become members of the Grand Council. Something like that. Or something like that. But, so, yeah. Well, and the, the thing is, too, is, I mean, we we did have to go, you know, here's the story and stuff like this, but I did kind of have to spoon feed a little bit. So at, at, at one point, as you guys were getting ready to leave Karima, I did make a point of saying, are you guys all happy? Asher, are you all happy? Really kind of. <laughs> Asher, do you want to ask any questions? And the funny part was, <clears throat> Asher did not really clue into what I was really asking him because he's got some back backstory stuff that's been developing. And last session, he learned that this place nearby Rahid's belonged to the Black Sultan. So, but he wasn't in last session, so he didn't actually hear last session where <laughs> Hannah was like, this is all I really know. I don't know much more, but maybe talk to Princess Karima. So I had to help him and say, you weren't here, but you did learn this last session. So you know now that this is the Princess Karima that Hannah was talking about related to this. Is there anything you want to... She says, oh, yes, of course. So he then, of course, asked some more questions about the Black Sultan and learned that he had not been run out of the city by legal means. He had been run out of the city by she feels was the Crimson Paw because he was smuggling and for some reason the Crimson Paw were pissed. So they ran him out. And he also learned that the Black Sultan came from the jungles to the south, is where he originated from, but that he headed west uh, along the same smuggling route that he used. And it was, it, was, it was good because, I mean, to me, this was, there was your guys' thought is, okay, this was the Black Sultan's place. We found the Vril Stone there. What does all of that mean? So again, you know, plot hook-wise, you've got the scholar, Zubiar, who's her friend. Where is he? Is he at his home? Is he at the library? Has the dogs of Bestet got him? The Scully are still a mystery, which is going on. What are they doing? You guys have some thoughts there. And the Black, Black Sultan has been introduced as a possibility. So... You could set the you could set things up to be in the city, but right now you're starting to get some hooks where they can take you out of the city. And again, uh, in some of those sessions between sessions, where on Discord, I I kind of hinted at conversation with Elbram, where he likes to be up at night, mm-hmm. and he has a what does he know about it? He knows that he feels an affinity. He that's what he does know. But anything else that he still haven't figured it out yet himself. But he's up there and he's starting to experience things through his affinity. He's starting to experience certain things. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, how and when does he use that to try to reveal? Because that too is something that potentially could take you guys out of the city. Whereas the Kell brothers, I mean, that was funny where you guys, when you're having the conversation with Karima, and they started going on to this tangent about the the, the knolls and stuff like this. You guys are like, come on, we don't need to talk about that. Leave this alone. And they're like, it's all in our backstory. Let us have this. Well, that was more about you can have your backstory, but in this in this at this particular point, I don't think that they played that very well because yeah. in this particular point, it's one thing to have your backstory, but you wouldn't have done that. You would have gone. Yeah. I have my backstory, and I'll I'll run my knoll hatred. Against minor nulls, yeah, but not against the not against the big ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, 
But that, that was, and so that's where we pretty much wrapped it up. And uh, this time it, it was getting close to the three hour marker. And I was just like, well, I don't want to move this forward. You guys have now, you've had your conversation with Princess Prima. Hopefully that's answered a lot of questions and, and yeah. pointed you to some better directions. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, everything was being thrown at you. Uh, and now some of that should start linking together so that you got a, a much better idea of what you guys have stepped into and do you handle work going down that direction? And that's why I threw the other, the other plot hooks was like, there's nothing to say that you guys stay with it. You mean you could, or you might say, yeah, Karima, that's not us. So, yeah, I, I, think we'll, I think we'll keep going down this. I, I'm, you know, and I'm, I'm, we'll, we'll write a note to Daryl and say, just move everything from that place to yeah. that place. If you could just shift house for us, thanks very much. That'd be good, Daryl. Make sure it's clean when we get there. Yeah. I'd like, yeah. a, I'd like a warm bath at 5.15. But the, the interesting thing, too, is that, you know, what you guys do when you feel that you're flush with money, because the beginning, you guys had, like, a couple gold pieces to your name, and yeah. what could you do with it? And now, you know, between the rewards you got from the, the temple <laughs> priestesses and, and getting rid of all of that other loot and, and selling it off in piecemeal, you guys all seem to be a little bit more flush. But And no one, and no one did anything frivolous with it. They, they, they bought things that were suited to what they wanted, to where we are as a, as a group going. As a, we are a bunch of adventurers and we want to be better at what we do. And interestingly, that they didn't buy the bigger, better weapon. They bought things that would make them better at doing their job. Yeah, and that's right, because like the, the, the glamour weave and dark weave fabrics are things that come from the Eberron setting. And I like the idea that there's clothing out there that help you be better at a certain skill. And the, yeah. so I thought, yeah, that's fantastic. Why not have something like that? I mean, why, why wouldn't there be some black clothes that are better at helping you hide? And the Kell brothers picked those so that they could be stealthy and, and Calidus has picked it so that he can hide while still, you know, firing away if he has to. Whereas Elbrum picked up the glamour weave because he was like, ah, the glamour weave gave you a, a plus one to deception. So he's just like, I, you know, if I need to. And this is the thing to me, like what I like so much is that, for example, the ghast, when you encounter the ghast, you guys, clearly it's an evil undead thing. You didn't just go and kill it. You guys uh, no, first we, questioned we, it. Let's well, we, had a, we, we took a shot at it because we didn't know. Yep. So, so clearly it was, and we knew that it was coming to get us. But you guys, but, you but, did employ tactics there. I mean, and, you and did, did yes. set yourself up so that set itself up so that it could, could be it could be hit. And as soon as we found that the amount of damage was done, mm. there were no further attacks on it. It mm. was like hit it. Oh my god, it's not as strong as we thought. Yeah, capture it, question well, it, find see if you can find out information. And, and this is one of those things where you know I really enjoy listening to things like Matt Colville and some of his YouTube <laughs> stuff where he says. There's nothing to say that a monster must be these statistics. You can do with it whatever you want. Like yeah. perhaps some monsters are too stupid to go any further than that. And that's right. Why would you change that? But if there's some intelligence behind it. So my thinking was, I mean, you could have a gas that just shows up and you guys are going to be hard set to deal with it at all. But there's nothing to say that there would be a new gas who is new to his world. Would he be? have the same strengths as one that is, yeah. you know, been formed ages ago. So my thinking was, all right, so let's do something with that. And so, yeah, you guys damage it and it runs. It doesn't want to get hurt. 
and you take advantage of that. And, and, and that's just it to me. I mean, you, employing tactics to have a better world, you know, and to me using skills other than hacking and slashing. Cause I mean, you could always do the hacking and slashing, but it's always, it's not, it's never going to be as effective as trying to do. No, and again, it's, it's the game is about the information. It's about the environment. It's about what can you pick up yeah. along the way. You, you can hack your slash, hack and slash away with a big pile of money. Yeah. I'm not convinced that that's actually that interesting. And yeah. the thing that we were talking about this morning about the changing the, the turn order. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a great way of, of taking out, you know, the predictability. Yeah. So, I mean, you could be encountering five things and although you don't know what the turn order of those five things are, if you know that, okay, first it's Callus, then it's Elbrum, and then there's creature number seven, if you remember, you remember, okay, creature's number seven is coming up. But yes, so, now, so you, will, you will go for creature number seven. Yeah, so you'll be like, oh, yeah, it's creature seven. Let's, you know, let's make sure we're, we're yeah. you know, going to get rid of it before it has a chance. So now what happens is, you know, you go through your turn order and then it automatically rerolls all, all the initiatives. So all of a sudden, oh, cripes, creature number seven is now first for some reason. So you've got to rethink what are you going to do? And, and that's just it. Like in the other session, I was saying when I was playing those goblins, this guy, you know, he's like, if I would have followed a natural turn order and he still followed, I would have had my turn and I could have done this. But now you can't. All of a sudden, you're completely surrounded and everything that you had counted on is not there. So you've really got to sit there and think, okay, wait a minute. If I don't know what's going to happen between one round and the next round, I really do need to be sitting there thinking, Let's communicate, guys. Let's and that is and that is the reality. Of what happens that <clears throat> the team that is opposing you at the end of the first round will rearrange themselves to optimize their position. Yeah. And the same way that if we had a chance, we would do that. Yeah. Now, now, while we don't actually get a say in who gets to go first within this structure, this is this is a far better solution than just having the same order over and over and over and yeah. over again. No, I mean, there are things that a person could do. Like there are certain items that could give you advantage on initiative roles. I mean, if you've gone heavy into your dexterity, you're going to get a big, much better modifier on your initiative roles. So they can affect positive results in terms of being high up on the initiative order at, at a much more common <coughs> basis or constant basis, especially if you've configured your effects so that those those uh, advantage on initiatives is always there happening without you needing to remember it. So doing stuff like that can be used to, to give yourself better, you know, situation inside a fight, but that's not going to get you to the end of the fight. Yeah. And I think with the other thing, when you're playing a West March's thing is what you notice is you walk in and you encounter a herd of cows. If you're going to go and attack the cows for whatever reason, because, oh, this is just going to be an XP run. I mean, you could be completely naive. I mean, maybe those cows are being controlled by something who sees a bigger picture. And he, he, and that's why, like, one session guy was talking, he was playing with eight people, killed seven people in a session, and only one survived. Because they all went in thinking, oh, let's walk into this encounter, and we will fight, and we will, we're going to win, we're going to win. But if you're not going to employ tactics, and, I mean, very, it's very common that a DM will scale an encounter so that either side has the possibility to win. With West Marches, the thing that I like about West Marches is that this is the encounter. This is what it is. If there's a hundred creatures there, there's a hundred creatures there. 
if you're going to go and try to take them, okay, you might take five or six, but they're going to overwhelm you and you'll all be dead. And then you create new characters and come in and try again and try again and try again and try again. I mean, you could do that or you could try to figure out, well, what can we do, you know, in order to give ourselves a much, much bigger advantage yeah. on this situation? Should we set up some kind of a funnel to try to bring them in this way? And how long will they continue to come in before they're like, okay, we're, yeah. we're getting slaughtered here. And then what do we do? Take the high ground, all that kind of stuff. If they use cover. Anyways, there you go. I think that's good for this session. And we'll be back again next week. Back again next week.